Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jason Hale, and I'm the Nolensville Campus Pastor here at Rolling Hills. These past few weeks, we've been talking about celebration, goodness, and gratitude, and today we're gonna look at how those things can be seen in God's church. God created us to be in community, and he created his church to be a place where his goodness is on display through his people. So let's jump into the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians and see what God has to teach us. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Hey, so right at the top of your page, like the worship guide that you were given when you came out today, just write down something that you're thankful for. We're like, we're, we're safely into November. It's okay to let our Thanksgiving just kind of overflow a little bit. So, so just something in your life that you're, you're celebrating, something that you're thankful for, something that's going well, something where you can just sense that God is moving. We're, we're celebrating this month God's goodness in the life of our church. Um, and I have to tell you, some of you have joined us in the last three years. Some of you have been with us for the last 10 years. But I, I'll say this, that over the last three years, three years ago, this campus of Rolling Hills Community Church was meeting at Belmont University, and we began with all of our other campuses this, this initiative, this campaign called For the Kingdom. And it was a God-sized initiative because we knew that there was nothing that we could do together outside of his power to accomplish any of the goals that we had. We were meeting at Belmont University and there was a ticking timeline on our ability to stay there. March of 2020, we had no idea what that month would come to mean. For us at the time, all it meant was, hey, that's when we have to be out of Trout Theater. That's what had been negotiated with the university and that's the grace that had been extended. And so we knew that come March of 2020, we had to have another permanent home location. Six months prior to that, in October of 2019, we had the same scenario with our Nolensville campus. They needed a permanent home, a location to move to. We had growing numbers at our Franklin campus and students and kids and the need for more discipleship space for groups to be able to meet in smaller and in even larger kind of groups together. And there's always been a pressing need in Moldova, one of the countries that we support through our work with Justice and Mercy International for more homes for teenagers to transition into when they're no longer able to stay in homes or in orphanages, places that they can go to be grown up in faith. And so these were massive initiatives that we were trusting that God could provide. And so we entered into a pledge season and all of our campuses collectively together came and pledged $5.1 million to see God accomplish all that he could accomplish. And we knew the going market of real estate in Nashville. We knew the challenges that were ahead of us. We knew that there was no place that we could move to that was gonna cost that amount of money except for 10,000 or 10 million more. It was insane and yet God came in and provided. We can celebrate today that not only did $5.1 million get pledged, $5.1 million was given and actually exceeded along the way. But nobody can outgive God because in the middle of all of that hard work and all of that sacrifice and all of that faith, he showed up and provided way, way more. It's been a little bit of a race. Last year at this time, we were in this building. We were registering for church on Sunday mornings. We were coming in and sitting in assigned seats, trusting that God was gonna continue to provide faith and that the caution and the love that was exhibited in this group of people would keep us safe and COVID-free. And I can say that, man, it was an incredible year, but we had a giant banner that said, finish strong because a global pandemic had hit and we had one year left on this campaign to see what God was gonna continue to provide, paying for all of the resources that he had poured out on us. And so we said, finish strong, and we did. 
and we can celebrate that. So this morning we've got a little bit of a race banner in the back and before you leave today, I invite you to put on a medal and stand in front of it as if you just finished the Music City Marathon and celebrate God's goodness in your life because we're coming out of something that's been big more than any of us could ever imagine. Way back in 2016, when I was working at Franklin Campus long before I ever thought of being a campus pastor and moving to Nashville and taking my family from Spring Hill all the way up here, I set two goals for myself before I turned 40 years old. I had 18 months left and I had two big time goals. I was gonna run a full marathon and I was gonna compete in the Ragnar Relay. Ragnar Relay is when you run from Chattanooga to Nashville on a team. And I had the goal of competing in both of those things before I turned 40 years old. And so in December of 2016, I went down to Huntsville, Alabama, because y'all may not know this, it's flatter there than it is here. And I ran this marathon. It was a whole lot of fun. There's the finish line. People have asked me as they've looked at this picture, man, Nick, you finished in 357.27. I have no idea what that time is, but I'm thrilled that it's in my photo. Mine was actually 435.49, which I'm still not a little bit mad at. And the next photo, you finished this marathon, 26.2 miles. And of course they give you a medal and they give you a cup of water and they give you a blanket that's kind of made out of tinfoil. And to this day, I still have no idea what in the world that is for. And if you were able to zoom in on my face in this moment, there are two thoughts running through my head. I'm about to fall down and I may throw up. (laughs) There was a banana table in my eyesight and I knew I needed to get something on my stomach. Those 26.2 miles, I didn't know another soul that was running the race that day. It was just me out there by my lonesome listening to music and going along. But along the way, there were people, strangers, cheering for you, giving you water, giving you Gatorade. There was a Bloody Mary station, and I have no idea what in the world that was for or how in the world that could have been good for me at all. So I just passed that on by, but there was portalettes right there and made a little quick pit stop on the way. I saw people drop out of the race along the way. I saw people drop out of the race along the way because they couldn't continue. I saw one guy get injured. I confess to you, I didn't stop to help any of them. I had a goal to achieve. And every time I saw somebody stop to help somebody else, I would look to see how old they were because I was like, yes, that guy's in my age bracket. I'm gonna get a little bit further ahead in this race. Because any race that you start, your, your number one desire, your number one hope is that you would be able to finish. And you can take a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of support from the water stations and the the cheering bands along the way, but you don't know those people. It, It literally is kind of a solo endeavor. When you go into 1 Thessalonians chapter three, we're reminded a couple of things that will help us continue to finish the race that's marked out for us and to continue celebrating what God's goodness is in the middle of all of these things. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 1, it says this, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Paul is writing to a group of people in a church that he began several years prior, most likely from the city of Corinth over to Thessalonica to encourage the believers who were there because he had been hearing reports of some of the challenges that they were facing. Paul himself was kind of run out of town by some Hebraic Jews who didn't like the fact that some Jews and other Gentiles were converting to faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's persecution that's going on and some of it's mild and some of it's major. And he's concerned for the believers there because they're young in their faith 
And he's thinking something bad may be happening to them. We've had to leave to go to another town and our desire is to get back to them so that we can encourage them in person. But in the middle of everything that's going on, it's gonna be best for us to stay here. I've got a solution though. It says in verse two, we sent Timothy who is our brother and our coworker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen. If you're a person that likes to underline things in your Bible on pieces of paper, underline that word, strengthen, and to encourage you. If you're a person that likes to underline things in your Bible or circle things or highlight them along the way, circle, underline, highlight that word, encourage you in your faith. Raise your hand, maybe inside. You don't have to like do it publicly unless you just want to. If you need some strength and you need some encouragement, I do. Along the way, running the race that's marked out for you, you need some strength and you need some encouragement. I had written in a Sharpie, magic marker, all down my arm, all of the places along the racetrack where I could get water and where I could go to the bathroom. Okay, so I had written down where they were so that as I passed mile 11, I would look at the portalettes and I would say to myself, okay, do I need to stop now or can I make it to mile marker 14. I think I can make it to mile marker 14 and I would press on and keep going. But you, you need those spots along the way where somebody's cheering for you, somebody's reaching out to you, somebody is encouraging you. There are points of connection along the way. In your faith journey with Jesus, there are points along the way, mile markers in your faith where you need, okay, this is a moment where I need a little bit of strength. I need a little bit of encouragement. I need a little bit of support. And so Paul sends Timothy. He says this, so that verse three, no one would be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are destined for them. They had gotten reports. They knew the agony and the difficulty that Paul was facing and he wanted to make sure that they weren't upset and so afraid by what's happening with him or the difficulty that they're facing themselves that they were unsettled by it all. In fact, it says in verse four, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent, it's Timothy, to find out about your faith. And then he says, in vulnerability, I was afraid. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. You pick up on a few themes in just the start of this passage of scripture. And the first one is this, and it's something that we've talked about before and we've worded before, we've articulated before, we've made sure that has been communicated to you before. It should come as no shock, no shock at all, no surprise to any of us that the Christian life, the life following Jesus is a struggle. Jesus said it, he told his disciples, it's written down for us in John chapter 16. Hey, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Like that should be something that's fresh on our minds all the time. In this world, we will have trouble, but we can take heart because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. It should never come as a shock to us when we face trials and trouble and even tribulation, the persecution and just the plain old everyday ordinary difficulty because we're literally going upstream in a world that's going one direction and we're called as believers in Jesus Christ to go the opposite way. It should never come a shock to us that that's hard. It should never come as a shock to us that that's difficult. Running the race, finishing the course is a challenge. And the solution, the solution that Jesus came up with, the, the solution that God ordained, the, the solution that Paul understood was never to eliminate the problems. That would just be so easy. 
Also, it would mean that we wouldn't need church. We could literally go home and have slept in yet another hour today. Like, it it would literally mean that we didn't need one another. It would literally mean that we didn't need these gatherings. It would literally mean that there was never a challenge out there in the world. Like, if if the whole journey, the whole goal was that in some way God was going to eliminate our problems, we wouldn't have any of this. The the solution, the the God-ordained solution, the Jesus-orchestrated solution, the Paul-understood solution was never that our problems would be eliminated, but that we would get to walk together in it. He says, I sent Timothy, who's our brother and our coworker, in the service of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to strengthen you and to encourage you. That, that word strengthen is literally the Greek word that means to make stable, to make firm, to place firmly. In other parts of scripture, it's translated as the word that we would understand establish. Like literally, he's sending Timothy them to establish, to firmly fix their faith so that they don't waver back and forth in the moment. And I, I find it so interesting that in so many moments when we're, we're praying and we're dependent on God, and we are, we're praying for the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we are, but the solution that he gives them in this moment is not the continued work of the Holy Spirit in their individual lives, but the access of another believer to come and make you strong. We are always stronger together. Timothy was sent to strengthen and to encourage. And that word encourage is a a fun one. It's the Greek word parakleo. It literally means helper, succorer, You ever like read a definition of a word and then you have to look up another word that's in it because it's super complicated? No idea, like no context in my life have I ever used the word succorer. Like I don't even, it doesn't even sound very nice. But here it just means aid. It it means assistant. And parakleo, in, in the moment of it meaning aid, in the moment of it meaning assistant, in the moment of it meaning helper, it comes from a similar word, paraclete, which is often translated in the New Testament as Holy Spirit. Do you get that? That it's literally just as powerful. Scripture gives as much weight to having other believers in your life as it does having the Holy Spirit by your side. Scripture gives just as much weight to you and I having other believers in our lives as it does to having the Holy Spirit work in our lives. Tony Evans is much, much older than me and he's a famous pastor and he's got incredible books out there. In fact, the first devotional that I ever read cover to cover that I was ever actually able to finish was in the seventh grade and it was by a fellow named Tony Evans. He says that we may be living in a high-tech world, but unless we are high-touch, we will not grow spiritually. And that's a little bit of a weird sentence coming out of COVID and you're thinking some of you like, well, I don't like to be touched anyway. I would like to go back to as much social distancing as possible. He's literally just talking about human contact and human interaction and the longing and the need for us to be together. We need one another. And there was nothing that God was going to do for the Thessalonian church in this moment that would have been any stronger than having another believer in Jesus Christ walk through the door to provide strength and encouragement. The real challenge for us, this is in your notes this morning, the real challenge isn't often the actual challenge, but it's our response 
It's not the persecution, it's not the problem, it's not the difficulty, but how we react to it that matters the most. Whenever we face adversity, we we literally have two options. The, The first is to be strengthened by it. James said this, he wrote to a very persecuted and fractured church, he said, consider it pure joy, not just endure it, but be thankful for it, celebrate it, like it's, it's God's goodness in your life. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We can be a lot of things when difficulty comes, but shocked and surprised and taken off guard is not one of them, because we know that it's coming. And Paul writes to them hoping that they would not be, as he says, unsettled by these trials in verse three. For you know quite well that you were destined for them. We were destined for them. In fact, when they were here with you, they told them over and over and over again, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. How many of you have to have things repeated to you sometimes in order to understand them? How many parents and grandparents in the room have to say things multiple times to your children and grandchildren in order for them to do them? I see those hands, hands going up all over this room. I see, you can put, I see it, I know it. Like sometimes it just seems to go in one ear and out the other. Sometimes the word of God, ever pay attention to the Old Testament and how it seems like the stories are connected to one another because they are. And it seems like God repeats himself a lot because he does, like any good parent, he wants us to understand the words that he's saying. So sometimes he repeats the things that matter the most and the things that are the most important. And so I love the idea that when he was with them, Paul kept telling them over and over, yeah, we're going to the next city, BTW, you're gonna be, persecuted. We are too. We're going to face trials, trials that may even take our very lives. We don't want you to be caught off guard. In fact, instead of being caught off guard by the trials, we want you to be strengthened by them. We want you to be strengthened by them because the only other option when those trials come, if we're not strengthened by them, we will succumb to them. We'll we'll give it up. He says in verse five, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had come and tempted you and and that all of our labor, all of our effort for you to know and follow Jesus, his greatest concern in the moment was that the enemy had crept in and made them question their faith, doubt their Jesus and turn from God. You know somebody like that. Maybe you've been somebody like that. Maybe you're currently walking through a season like that where, where you know that you know that difficulty has made someone abandon their faith in Jesus, the faith that they had once placed in him, the faith that they had once illustrated so deeply, the faith that they had once walked in so clearly has been abandoned or deconstructed or just given up altogether because of the adversity that they faced in life. You could write the letter that Paul's writing to some of your friends, maybe to your family members. I'm writing this to encourage you and to strengthen you, and I long to come and see you and spend time with you because my greatest fear is that you're going to somehow abandon the faith that the tempter is going to come and that the difficulty is going to come and your only response to it is to cave underneath it and the weight of it all is going to make you turn your back on Jesus. I started my ministry career in in student ministry with middle school and high school kids and I have to tell you that there are some out there now because I was a middle school and high school pastor in the early 2000s like 2000, 2001, 2000 like early all the way up until 2011 many of them are grown and married and have kids of their own one buddy of mine he's like a peer now but I was his youth pastor when he was 15 years old he's a pastor in Asheville North Carolina raising three boys with a wonderful wife and they are eaten up with Jesus 
but for every one Ryan Foster out there, I can say that there's a wake of other kids who couldn't do that, who, who faced incredible storms, who, who went the way of the national law of averages, because early on in my student ministry days, I learned that 75 plus percent of the kids that are active, 75 plus percent of the kids that go to your camps and attend your mission trips, 75 plus percent of the kids who are in church every single week and come to Bible study and are excited to be there, they cause a few problems along the way, but all in all, they've made a profession of faith, they've been baptized in water, and they're walking with Jesus. 75 percent of those kids early in my ministry career, we learned that they literally graduated from high school and never darkened the door of a church again. And only a small percentage ever came back when they got older in life. And so everything that we did in ministry, everything that we read in ministry was like, how do we turn that tide? And there's some really smart people out in California at Fuller Seminary who came up with a concept called sticky faith. They said, hey, let's just study the 25%. Let's see what was different about them along the way to see if we can turn that tide. And, and thankfully, as a law of averages in this nation, it's actually gone down. It's no longer 75% of the kids who are active in your student ministry all the time are turning their back on faith. That, that stat has lowered, but even 1% is too much. And, and so what are the things that we're going to help that generation bridge the gap? Paul's literally writing to a whole bunch of youth and he's saying, hey, we don't want you to turn your back on faith. We don't want you to graduate from high school and graduate from Jesus at the exact time, same time. We want you to stick it out and stay strong. Be encouraged. The passage continues, starting with verse six, he continues to write to them. He says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. So Timothy is gone, spent some time with the church in Thessalonica, and now he's come back to Paul to report everything that had been going on. That's because they did not have text messaging. So he makes the journey back and he says, but Timothy has just come now to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and in persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith, verse eight. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's looking at a group of believers in Jesus Christ and saying, I live because you have faith. I'm stronger because you're walking with the Lord. There's not a, a stronger statement that I can find in all of the New Testament that would indicate what one of our absolute core values has to be as a church, that our individual relationships with Jesus Christ have an impact on our collective faith as a church. Our interconnected relationships with one another matter. If you're coming to this church, I have a number one priority that you would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's nothing that you have ever done or could do that would separate you from from God or allow you to come to faith in God, but only by his grace have any of us been saved, that he loved you enough to die in your place and to redeem you by his grace that you might have everlasting life with God the Father. That's priority number one, but 1 1.5 is that you would have friends and that you would be connected with one another. If I could take all of the chairs in the room and face them towards one another, we could, we could literally set a timer on the screen and put some conversation starters up there and make this whole room like speed dating. We could call it fast friendships because we want you guys to be connected, to know one another, to support one another, to strengthen and to encourage one another. 
Because if Paul's faith was strengthened and encouraged, if he was made alive by other believers having continued faith, then we are too. We're stronger because of one another. We're better because of one another. We need one another in these moments. 2018, when my family answered the call to leave the Franklin campus that I had worked at since 2007, my kids were raised there and and come and and launch a a Nashville campus. My kids were basically the only kids. And so my girls were coming with me early every morning. Susan and my little boy were coming early with me every morning to set up Trout Theater and to interact with other people. And there was long seasons where my girls were the only kids in their entire age group where if they would have talked to anybody at church on Sunday morning, it had to be somebody way outside of their age group because if they were just looking for peers, they wouldn't have had any. And so there was a fellow named Bob Irby. Bob Irby had been at Belmont Heights Baptist Church for longer than I had been alive, and he had served in so many different capacities, and he was physically unable to get around very well. At the time, he was still driving. He's no longer doing that. We get to check in on Bob and his wife, Betty, from time to time, and they're doing well, but it's, it's a challenging life. He said to me one time, getting old, I don't recommend it, <laughs> and he meant that. But one day he looked at my girls on a Sunday morning and they got to talk to Mr. Bob often and he looked at the girls square in the eye and he wanted to say, girls, you look so pretty today because he often told them how pretty they looked, sweet man. And then he said, I want you to know, you've saved our church. And I thought, oh no, that's really bad theology. I I don't want them to think that they saved the church. Um, Y'all are dirty, rotten sinners, conceived in sin. You've walked in that. You need the grace of Jesus Christ to pour over your life every single day. You did not save the church. Jesus did. And then I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Bob Irby looked at uh, two middle school girls and said, you've saved the church. What he meant was, (laughs) I really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. My faith is strengthened and I am encouraged because I see yours. So Paul writes, how, how can we thank God enough? How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Light and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. The fact that you're strong the fact that you're walking with the Lord affects other people and strengthens them. And the fact that somebody else in your life is strong in their faith and walking with the Lord, it affects you and, and how you live and how you move and the, the joy that you take. And Paul's writing to them and saying, hey, you guys are doing great and I'm so encouraged by that. In fact, it makes me wanna to come to you even more so I can supply what is lacking in your faith. What do you mean lacking in our faith? You just told us we were doing awesome. High five up top, no. Because no matter, listen, faith is a journey. That's in your notes. No matter how far we've come, we've never, ever arrived. There will always be something lacking, but we're in this together. And you get to be a Timothy to somebody else's Thessalonica. And you get to be a Thessalonica to somebody else's Paul. We get to be that for one another. Because this whole initiative for the kingdom is for every one of us. Every one of us to invest in. Every one of us to serve in. Every one of us to be a part of. 
several years ago, it's actually more than several years ago, it's like 20 something years ago, my wife and I, we had just gotten married and I was part of a, a team that was working with strategic focus cities in the, the northeastern part of our country, which is not the Bible Belt, and, and they needed church planters. They needed hundreds of church planters to go to those cities and I was part of an organization that was working to serve those church planters through the North American Mission Board and we entered into this 50 days of prayer. Susan and I were praying 50 days. Kids weren't here yet. We're praying 50 days. Another couple a guy that I went to college with, he's praying for 50 days. Our mentor and our boss at the time, he's praying for 50 days with his wife. Big, huge, monumental prayer requests. Do we move our office of this organization that's basically right now operating out of our homes and at the North American Mission Board in Atlanta, do we move our base of operations to serve these church planters to the Upper West Side of Manhattan, New York City? So prayer request number one, do we all, these three couples, move to New York City? Do we also, clarity, Lord, do you want us to start a church? Instead of just serving church planters, do you want us to, to be church planters? And the third request, we knew. We knew that if God had said no to either one of those things, he was 100% for sure going to say yes to the third thing, which was, Lord, will you increase our faith? Will you increase the faith that we have? The, these prayer requests. We don't know if you're going to send us to New York to plant an office there to serve church planters. We don't know if you're going to send us to New York in order to be church planters. But, but what we do know is that through this exercise, you're going to stretch and grow our faith. It was February of the year 2001 that our 50 days concluded and we met in the city and we toured around and we saw a lot of sites and we had great meals and we visited with some of our friends who had planted churches in that place and then we all sat around the table one night and had to go around couple by couple and say what the answer that the Lord had revealed to us. Susan and I knew for sure that the door was closed and that it was a no. Instead of moving to Manhattan and starting an organization and planting a church, we were gonna begin seminary together instead go do this youth ministry thing that God had called us to. The other couple said, mentor, boss, he said, yeah, I'm absolutely coming. We're moving to the city. We're planting our office here, and somehow or another, by God's grace, in the next two years, we're going to plant a church. The other couple was a, we don't know. God didn't give us a clear answer. We're not sure. We had a yes. We had a no. We had a maybe, but all six of us could literally say that through that exercise, God had increased our faith and the ability that we had to trust in him regardless of the circumstances. I did say that that was February of 2001, didn't I? So the couple that moved landed in their first apartment in August, and in one month, the World Trade Center fell. And rather than waiting three years to start their church like the plan was, they started it in three weeks. And it's continued to grow ever since. We started seminary. God moved us into a church where we could do youth ministry full-time and began that degree. And so, somehow or another, it led us to Rolling Hills, the other couple that was on the fence and that just didn't know. A year later, they got the confirmation and God moved them to Manhattan to be a part of that church plant. Like God always provides an answer. And God always increases our faith. Through this whole For the Kingdom exercise, we've been asking God for five specific things, but we've also been asking him for these First Thessalonians chapter three things. We've asked God, it says, now may God our Father and himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to, to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his hope. We've prayed that God would clear the path. First Thessalonians 3.11, we, we've prayed that God would clear the path for us to do ministry, to clear the path for us to plant campuses, to clear the path to grow 
community churches right in these parts of our city. We, we've prayed that God would increase our love for one another. And that's a big time prayer request that I pray for this body of believers all the time, that, that God may increase our love for one another and strengthen our relationships with one another because I know that your strength and your love for one another will affect the way that you're able to follow Jesus together. We've prayed that God would strengthen our resolve in the middle of difficulty that we would be stronger so that we can stand blameless and holy in his presence and in the face of all the great dangers that are in the world and we've prayed that he would get us ready for his return and that we would be on the lookout for Christ to come back and to redeem his church and we know that in the middle of this for the kingdom when we've been asking God for a location for our Nashville campus when we were asking God for a location for our Nolansville campus when we were asking God to multiply the real estate at our Franklin campus to invest in the next generation and to see adult discipleship flourish we've been asking God for homes in Moldova and an ability to continue furthering the call of the gospel that's there as we were asking for all those things we're also saying Lord will you increase our faith Will you clear a path? Will we strengthen our love for one another and deepen our relationships with your son? And I can say that not only through this campaign did God provide $5.1 million and so much more in order to accomplish those five initiatives, he has cleared the path in my life and in yours. He strengthened our love for one another in these seasons. He strengthened your love for each other in these seasons. And he strengthened our resolve to go forward in the gospel. Every single one of those words in the final part of the scripture is plural. Us, that's more than one. You, it's the plural version of the word you. He's talking to a whole group of believers. He says, our resolve, our hearts, our strength. I did eventually get to finish that other race. It wasn't before 40. I had actually already turned 41 before I could register and go. But in, Oct in October of, no, early November of 2019, I was able to go run a Ragnar relay. And you do that with a team. Like literally all these guys were, were running together with me from Chattanooga all the way to Nashville. And, and the legs that I had to run were actually way less than 26 miles. It was actually a blessing. But we checked off all of our legs as we went. And there I am checking off my last leg. I had just come from this moment where I literally passed a baton to the runner, Craig, who was coming up behind me on the next picture. It's a fun one. You can see us kind of run. Oh yeah, there we go. There's me passing it off. There's Craig and here he is heading on to his last leg of the race and, and at the end of it you do get a medal like so many race medals but what you don't realize is that your medal connects together like a puzzle with all of the other medals and if you could zoom in on that the, the word that goes across the top it says we are Ragnarians we believe we are Ragnarians we believe that together I'm gonna underline that word in my mind together we can accomplish anything. That one, uh, I wasn't alone just waiting for strangers to hand me a cup of water. I was with a whole group of people who cheered us on along the way and who ran our legs with us. I believe that too. We're rolling hills. We believe that together, together, by God's grace and by his power, his choosing, his calling, but also by our strength and our encouragement, loving and supporting one another, that there's no mountain too high and there's no challenge too big. 
God can do it. We've seen it, and we're going to continue to see it for his kingdom and for our good as we are called to greater purposes and greater experiences and greater love for one another. Your faith is going to be strengthened by me, and oh, I already know that my faith is going to be strengthened by you. And we're going to see God move in ways that we never imagined as a result. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for the opportunity to be in this place and to celebrate all the good things that you're doing. To tell you that we trust you. To tell you how very desperately we need you. But to also circle back and say, oh Lord, we need each other. Thank you for providing Don and Carrie and Caleb and Emily and Lily Kate and Adam, Jane, thank you for providing all of these Timothys and all of these Pauls and all of these Thessalonican believers in the room because we know that together we can always do far more than we ever can apart and that the races we run with one another are always better than the ones we try to do solo. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray today, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.